Let's pray together once more. Would you bow with me? God in heaven, we believe in You. We believe in Your Son. Father, we are gathered together because we believe. Lord, help us in our unbelief. Father, help us to focus on Your Word. Lord, please preach in spite of a foolish and weak preacher. We ask that Your words would go forward. Lord, You would hide me behind the cross of Jesus the Christ, our Savior and our Lord. God, would You please add Your blessing to the reading, to the teaching, to the proclamation of Your Holy Word. We turn our hearts, our minds to Your Word now. Would You please comfort us, encourage us, by the power of Your Word, Lord, I also pray that You convict us and pierce us to our very hearts. That You would challenge us, Lord, to live for You and give our lives to You completely. To surrender all that we have and all that we are for Your name and for Your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, by the power of the Holy Spirit to You, our Father Almighty in Heaven. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope that you do, I encourage you to take it and turn with me to the book of Hebrews once again. We will continue this morning in our sermon series through the book of Hebrews. We are in Hebrews chapter 7 this morning. So we'll be reading Hebrews chapter 7 in its entirety. So I invite you to take and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are some in the pews, and the words will also be up on the screens. As you find your way to Hebrews chapter 7, I encourage you to please stand if you are physically able to do so out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word. As We turn our attention now to the book of Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God. He continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people. That is from their brothers, although these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes. From Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, 
What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest, not on a basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said it to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, if you will remember, as we have walked through the book of Hebrews, Melchizedek has been mentioned several times before this chapter leading up Unto this point, and if you'll think back in chapter five, the author of Hebrews took a deviation from talking about and leading into Melchizedek to give us some warnings about remaining faithful, to give us some warnings about staying in the faith and trusting in Jesus and not being one of the seeds that is choked out by the thorns or snatched up by the birds or dried out because of depth of soil. So we have mentioned Previously, because the author has already talked about on several occasions who Melchizedek is, that his name, Melech and Zedek, king of righteousness, who rules over the city of Salem, which means peace. He is the king of righteousness who rules over the city of peace. He meets Abraham. He gives Abraham a tenth of the Abraham meets Melchizedek. Sorry, Abraham meets Melchizedek and gives Melchizedek a tenth 
of all the spoils of the kings that he just conquered by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Lord working through Abraham and empowering his men to rescue Lot and take down those kings. Melchizedek is a mysterious character. There's no record of him anywhere. There's no other historical record all throughout Jerusalem, which is the city that Salem becomes, nor in the historical records of Salem do we have anybody that came before him or anybody that came after him. Nobody else in all of Scripture other than Jesus Christ is able to hold together the office of king and high priest. He is the fulfillment of the Levitical requirements. This is also a priest who has no beginning and no end. And so Melchizedek is the order along which Jesus becomes our high priest. But you might be thinking, this is, this is all wonderful, Pastor, and I, I appreciate the detail, but those were 28 verses. It was a long time to stand up, and there was a lot of detail that we've already kind of hashed through before. So I, I'm just curious what the importance of this detail is. Why does the author of Hebrews take so much time to specify out how high priestly nature works, what the high priest does, how the Levitical law was insufficient, how Jesus made it sufficient? What's the big deal with all of that that he keeps coming back to this point? And I just I want to offer something up to you this morning. Everybody in here that enjoys watching or participating in any sport in any way, all right? This is the part where I'm going to ask you to participate, all right? I'm going to ask you to do something crazy. Jason has already asked you to do this in a more extreme way this morning. If you enjoy any sporting event or have participated in any sport, will you raise your hand, please? Oh, man, you guys are on point this morning. Maybe you don't like sports. What about board games? Raise your hand if you like to play board games. By the way, both of these are some of my favorites. If you come to my house, you may be forced to play board games. So if you don't like board games, you might not want to come hang out with Jessica and I. And after the kids go to sleep, we might play catchphrase or something. Who knows? It's going to get crazy. But if you play sports or watch sports or play a board game or are involved in, in any sort of game or sporting event, what do you have to know? You have to know the rules, right? You have to know how it starts. You have to know how it ends. You have to know what the purpose is, and you got to know the rules. I mean, I remember playing football, and I remember being taught the rules. I, I got to play defensive end. I know I don't look much like a defensive end on, on the line right now, but when they moved me from offense to defense, it was life-changing, all right? I was in, on offense. I was that guy who's fat, and he's getting in. Oh, okay, all right, here we are. All right, now I got to launch off the line. I got to block somebody. Don't grab them. Don't hold them. Don't grab their, don't grab right here the shoulder pads. You can't grab their jerseys. Okay, you can, but you got to do it real close so that the referees don't see because that's against the rules. Don't do that. And then they said, Nathan, guess what? We're moving you to defensive end because you can't block anybody. I said, God bless America. Thank you, coach. I appreciate it. I'm terrible at blocking. So then they said, look, I got down. I was like, all right, I'm going to get down in my three-point stance. Here we go. They said, whoa, 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 Nathan. You're on the end. You don't have to do that. All you got to do is squat and be ready to go. I went, you're kidding you mean to tell me I get moved over here and I can just squat down? I don't even have to put my hand on the ground? They went, yes, we want you cocked and ready to fire in there so you don't have to get down and put your hand down. I said, all right, I'm liking this position. This is really good. I really like this. And then the first play, they blew the whistle and caught it and snapped. Boom, there we go. Hike! And I run in there and I'm trying not to grab anybody. I'm trying, not, I'm trying to just hit my way through. And, and they're like, Nathan, whoa, whoa, hang on. Nathan, son, what are you doing? And I went, 
because you can't grab nobody, coach. I was just trying to get there and tackle the guy with the ball. They went, you can grab them now. You're on defense. Get them out of your way. Throw them over. Do whatever you got to do to get past them. I went, this is the best game ever. So in peewee football, I really enjoyed doing a little defensive end. And then I got moved back to offense in high school. And the rules changed again. If you play a game or you play a sport, it's absolutely essential that you know the rules. Otherwise, you're that guy out there that, like, the rest of your team went to the huddle. So you're like, yeah, okay, all right, we'll go to the huddle. All right, all right, everybody else did this. I'll do this. All right. Hey, guys, what are we doing? Everybody looks at you like you're, you not already know how to. And you just pretend and put on a good show and pray that nobody notices that you don't really have a clue what's going on. If you want to meaningfully engage in a sport or a game, you have to know how it starts. You have to know how it ends. You have to know the purpose of it, and you have to know the rules. And so what God wants in our lives is for us to meaningfully Engage with Him. And part of knowing that is knowing how it starts. It starts with one triune God who speaks. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father are three in one together in creation. We're told that the Spirit is hovering over the face of the deep. And in the beginning was the Word. So that very Word that is spoken that creates all that there is, is Jesus. And so that's how this life begins with our God speaking it into existence, Father, Son, and Spirit. It will end with our God recreating all of this. The Son will return and everything will be remade. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. And we will receive new glorified bodies if we trust in Jesus. That's how it begins and that's how it ends. But there in the middle, there was some trouble, right? We rebelled against God. And so God had to create a system by which we can approach Him. This system is absolutely essential if you and I want to approach God. As we talked about a few weeks ago, if you and I were to approach God in His holiness right now and see Him face to face It would burn our eyeballs out. We're thinking Raiders of the Lost Ark, folks, all right? You remember at the end when the ark opens up and everybody's face melts off? All right, I wasn't supposed to watch that when I was a kid, but I did. And it was a very impactful movie for me because I recognized that as crazy as that movie is, the holiness of God is that powerful. And that scene is backed up in Scripture because when people walked into the Holy of Holies, God's powerful, concentrated presence is more than we could ever hope to bear, much less be with, much less communicate with. And so God, being rich in mercy, made a way for us, sinful and rebellious as we are, to meaningfully engage with Him. Not to just wander around life going, hey, am I supposed to be in this huddle right now? I I think I'm supposed to be over here. Do I get down and, and, uh, okay, everybody in church is, they're doing this, so I'll, I'll, I'll do like that. Well, yeah, Jason said I, I raised my hands, so I'm a, I don't really know. Everybody else raised their hands. Why do we raise our hands in worship? I don't really know. I'm just, maybe nobody will notice because I'm, I'm raising my hands. God details out for us 
exactly how to approach him so we're not those people. So that we understand that we can raise our hands in worship. So that we can understand what postures we need to take to approach him. And before Christ, that meant that somebody had to make a sacrifice. Blood had to be poured out. We've studied it in Sunday school, but there had to be a sacrifice and a perfect lamb. But that was always a picture of Jesus. That's what Hebrews 7 is explaining to us. Is that the Levitical law was not sufficient to make anybody perfect. It was always temporary because the people who were administering that covenant were temporary. You could never have a high priest for eternity on the old Levitical system. Aaron died. Moses died. And on and on and on and further down the line. So the author of Hebrews is presenting to us that Jesus supersedes that older covenant by being of the line of Melchizedek. He says that Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Judah had nothing to do with the Levitical priesthood. Jesus is specifically from the lineage of Judah so that he supersedes the Levitical priesthood. He's not tied to Aaron or Levi. He is tied to Judah, the royal lineage. Because he's not just your run-in-the-mill, everyday high priest. He's a high priest by the order of Melchizedek. He's one that has no beginning and no end. And instead of offering a sacrifice every time that we need to go before the Lord, Jesus offered one sacrifice once forever. Folks, I think that you and I take for granted just how easy it is to approach God Now, can you imagine the struggles that you go through in your life and needing to cry out to the Lord and offer a prayer, but knowing that your prayer's not heard unless we can scrounge up a lamb or some turtle doves or, you know, maybe maybe it's something really big. We need to we need to get an ox or something and and take it to the high priest. First, he's got to go and make his sacrifice for himself because he's a temporary sinner just like you and I. Then he can go into the Holy of Holies and offer the sacrifice so that you and I can be at one with the Lord for just long enough to say our prayer and go, God, please help me because I don't know how I'm going to pay my taxes because Caesar's coming. That was the system. Because without that system in place, Somebody says, listen, I don't know if I'm going to have enough money to make ends meet this month and I need to talk to God about it. I need him to be Jehovah Jireh. I need him to provide for me. So I'm just going to walk right into the Holy of Holies and boom, they fall over dead. God put these rules and laws and systems in place so that we could know how to meaningfully engage with him in this life without being destroyed. And so the author of Hebrews says that old covenant had a great purpose, but it was insufficient. Now we have a great high priest. We have one who stands always at the ready to intercede for us to the Father. And we have every opportunity to go before God Almighty with everything that is going on in our lives. We can actually stand in His presence because we have been cleansed once and for all. And that sacrifice, it applies for infinity, for all eternity, forever and ever and ever. Because Christ still lives. 
And as long as Christ still lives, his sacrifice is still sufficient because it's by a totally different order. But God put the Levitical order in place on purpose and for a purpose. Don't don't think that those 613 laws starting in Leviticus chapter 11 through the end of the book, don't think that those are theirs just to be mean. God wanted to tell people what was good for them. God said, hey, don't sleep with your sister. It's going to end badly. Listen, folks, if you read through the rules, most of them make a whole lot of sense. And then some of them, when you get to the dietary rules, they couldn't clean pork. They would have gotten bacteria and infection. The ones who followed the dietary law, just like in Daniel, were healthier than everybody else in the world. God wanted good things for his people. And so the Levitical law laid out how to live in this world and engage with God. But now the game has changed because we have a new high priest. And so the author of Hebrews has to tell us that the gears have been shifted, that someone stands between us and the Father to protect us from His holiness. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who your mom or your dad is. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter if you're a man, if you're a woman. It doesn't matter where you're from. All that you need to know is that if you trust in Jesus, that you can approach the Father. That because of Jesus being the ultimate and supreme high priest, that there's nothing stopping you from believing in Him and being able to approach God the Father about anything going on in life. God, I don't know how to raise my kids and I'm doing it terribly. Help me, Father. You are the best Father. Help me raise my kids. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what's going on. i got a prodigal and I don't know if they'll ever come back. God, can you help me? God made a way for you and I to draw near to Him at any point for any reason. That phrase shows up over and over again here in our passage this morning. Look with me at verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced. This hope is Christ through Christ, through which, through Christ, we draw near to God. And then verse 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through Him. Imagine a game, a sport, where you don't know the rules. And you get out on the field. And you go ask the other players and they look, like, look at you like you're stupid. And don't tell you what the rules are. And so then you go and you find the coach on the sideline. And the coach won't say anything to you. He's just standing there going, hey guys, doing a great job. Great job. Keep it up, everybody. Woo! All right. Good job, folks. Keep it going, guys. Keep it going. This is a good game. Listen, can you not tell? I'm, I'm, all right. Thank you very much. You can't get any help from the coach. And then you go to find the referees, and you find out that the players didn't really like the referees, and so they dismissed them. All the umpires and referees got sent home. So then all you can do is go back out on the field, pretend like you know what's going on, and hope. That everything turns out all right. That's this world. That's life without Christ. 
The world has sent the referees and the umpires home because they don't like the calls that are being made. The coach just stands on the sideline and says, hey, y'all doing great. Don't feel bad. Just feel good. Be positive. Everything's all right. Everything's going to be all right. Don't worry. The other players don't want to talk to you about how to meaningfully engage in this life. But Jesus stands at the ready to help us not just live, not just survive. But John 10.10 tells us that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have that life abundantly. The New International Translation says that you might have life to the full. Not to wander around and pretend like you know how to interact with God or pretend like there's not a God at all or pretend like you know what's going on. Jesus came to be our high priest that we might engage meaningfully with God who is ready and willing and wanting and desiring to engage with us. That's why Jesus came and died to save us from our sins, that we might be able to draw near to God. That's why Hebrews 7 says over and over again, if you draw near through him, for those who draw near through Christ. That's not where it stops. Look with me in the book of James. James chapter 4. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. The word of the Lord says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, giving us yet again a perfect way to engage with the Father, meaningfully engage with God by knowing that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Hebrews 7 breaks down who Jesus is, how he functions as a high priest, so that we might learn how to humble ourselves, submit ourselves to God, and draw near to the Father through our high priest, Jesus. So this morning, I wonder, where are you? Are you relying on the playbook? Are you relying on the way God listed out for us how to engage with Him, how to draw near to Him? Are you too busy wandering around pretending like you know what's going on? hoping all the while that people won't realize you're a fraud. Do you spend time in this Word? Do you spend time with our high priest, Jesus? Or have you and I become perfect at faking it, hoping people won't know? This morning, church, there's a way for us to engage with the Father. He doesn't need to engage with us. He wants to. And made a way for us to approach Him, to draw near to His throne. So I wonder, would you go to the high priest Jesus and say, I need to draw near to God. Because as soon as we do, 
we're reassured from the book of James that God will draw near to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you want us. Thank you, God, that even though you don't need us, even though you don't depend on us, you want us. You made a way. Through the Old Testament, you made a way for people to approach you safely. And now, through Jesus, our great high priest, you have made a way for us to approach you even now in this prayer. And so, God, I pray that you would help us not to just fake it, not to just wander around and hope nobody notices, but, Lord, to truly humble ourselves and draw near to you to meaningfully engage in a relationship with you, with your word, your truth, so that we can understand, Father, how this world started, what the purpose is for our lives, how it will all end, and how we might relate to you. God, we need you. We love you. We ask for you to move during this time. We ask for you to help us to respond in obedience. We ask these things in the name of the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.